If you have your Bibles, would you open them up to James chapter 5? We're going to be looking at verse 12 today. I want to confess to you, it's been a little unsettling this week because I realized uh, that I only have, I believe, two more sermons in the book of James. I'm getting like separation anxiety. I'm not sure where to go with that, but uh, if you want to counsel me, uh, just make an appointment. That'd be fun. I want to ask you a question this morning. And I want it to really frame your thoughts as we journey into what this verse has to say for us. This is a very difficult verse to exposit. It's a very difficult verse to hear because it's so prevalent in our society. Let me ask you a couple questions. Do you really speak the truth every time? Do you really speak the truth every time? Does truthfulness really capture who you are in the very character and integrity of your heart? Kevin Hart, a graduating small town Nevada high school football player, packed his school's gymnasium with the townspeople and with reporters. And they were there to find out which NCAA Division I school he was going to sign for. Hart had played, uh, placed two hats on a table right in front of him. The, the gymnasium's packed. Reporters from out of town are all in there. And he puts these two hats representing two different schools on a table in front of him. And then after a dramatic pause, he leans down and hovers his hand over both hats, and then reaches for one of those hats and puts it on his head, and cheers resounded all over the gymnasium. He then proceeded to talk to reporters how the Cal Bears head coach had heavily recruited and won him over. I mean, it's an incredible rags-to-riches story. It's an incredible small-to-big-time story, except for this small little detail wasn't even true. You see, Hart fabricated the entire story. Friends, what began as one innocent little locker room lie escalated bigger and bigger until it became an elaborate, out-of-control hoax that reached national media. If there is one skill that comes prepackaged in humanity, it's lying. In fact, Proverbs says, or Romans says, that some even hone the craft. Look at what this says. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues, here it is, practice deceit. Lying is the mimicking of the devil. John says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. We see deceit all around us. <clears throat> Have you seen the show or heard about 
the Fox game show called The Moment of Truth where contestants are strapped into a polygraph machine and asked potentially humiliating, devastating, and catastrophic questions. How far will you go, the show's premise, to tell the truth, even so far as to lose the ones you love? Have you heard about Alibi Network? It's getting all the rage. It's getting all the publicity. Major networks, major, major newspapers writing about this. Their slogan is an empowering real people in a real world. You know what Alibi Network is? It's an agency, full service agency that provides alibis for men and women who want to have an affair. And so you contract with Alibi Network and they will issue your spouse proof of record that you have air, airfare, hotel fare, and everything else that looks legitimate. If you don't want to go to your company's conference for the week, then contract with Alibi Network. They've got trained actors that when your employer calls, it'll move it to what they think is the hotel that you're staying at. It's really an actor. Friends, people all over the country are employing these services. Marriage promises have become so degraded that recently a radio show gave away a free divorce for the winner of a contest. How many lies are given around this time of year? Everybody listen when you sign those tax documents. Friends, the word of God is very concerned with how truthful God's people are really are. And James is no less concerned. So we look at verse 12 and we see an eye of James toward truth. The first thing he says, and he's going to teach us three things. The first is the command for truthfulness. Remember that 54 times in this letter, James uses a Greek imperative. A Greek imperative is a whip crack. It's a command. It's a military order. It's, it's, you better wake up and pay attention, people of God. That's what he's saying. He says, above, above all else, or above all my brothers, here it is, do not swear. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. You see, James begins this verse with the phrase above all. Now, why is that? Is it because do not swear is more important than what he's talked about previously? I mean, he's only talked about adultery and murder and deceit and favoritism. That's not why he says above all. Above all was a common way to bring a letter to a close. It indicates that what's about to follow is the summary of what he's already mentioned. So above all is James saying, now that I've said that, let's review and close. And he's directing the church, which is why he says, my brothers, he's speaking to the believers. He's directing them to the use of their tongues in speech. And he tells us, listen, he says, don't swear. Now, let's understand what that means. He's not here commanding us to abstain from profanity. Uh, certainly, Scripture clearly forbids profanity. As it does perverse and corrupt speech. I mean, here, listen, dirty jokes, swearing, slander, gossip, to just name a few. It's not the language of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So, friends, it ought not to be the language of the redeemed. But the swearing that James is forbidding is not profanity. It's oath-taking. Now, when you hear the word oath, I want, you to uh, I want you to substitute a modern day term, promises or vows. 
James has been looking at the use of our speech all throughout the letter. Do we lie? Do we say things that we don't really mean or are not true? In effect, listen, James is saying, do we make promises with our fingers crossed behind our backs? Friends, there are some today who refuse to take oaths. Even in a court of law, they will not put their hand in the Bible and raise their hand. There are some um, like the Anabaptists, the Moravians and the Quakers. They all refuse to lay their hands on their Bible and take an oath. In fact, George Fox, the founder of the Quaker movement, was imprisoned because he refused to take an oath. Proper oaths though, we're encouraged in the Old Testament. This isn't about not taking an oath. It's about scandalous, casual, unthinking oaths. James isn't referring to formal oaths taken in court or the vows that are given in marriage. Uh, Let's look at the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 22 says, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. This is ordained by God. God himself took oaths. It says in Hebrews, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. So God himself has taken oaths several times throughout Scripture. Jesus honored an oath put to him by Caiaphas on the morning that he was crucified. Paul, the apostle, uh, uttered several oaths. 2 Corinthians is one. I call God as my witness. That's an oath formula. That it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. So even Paul took oaths. So what is being condemned by James? Listen, you've got to understand this if you're going to know what he means by do not swear. What's being condemned was the epidemic problem in the early church of thoughtless oaths and casual conversations and the lack of keeping your word. That's what James is condemning. So James has commanded us, to be truthful. But secondly, he's given us instructions. What are the instructions for truthfulness? Let's look at verse 12 again. Look at the middle part of that. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now, James isn't giving us any new truth here. He's just summarizing the words of Jesus. Here's the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep The oaths you have made to the Lord, but I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Well, now I guess you can, but still don't. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now listen, look at that verse up there. When Jesus says it was said to the people long ago, friends, listen, he's not talking about scripture. He's talking about rabbinical tradition, the rabbis teachings. You see, the rabbis had created an elaborate out for their oaths. They developed a complex system of swearing oaths, making promises, and it had brought that system, these redeemed Jews were bringing that system into God's church. Any oath in which the name of God was directly used was considered definitely binding. 
But if God's name was not directly used, then the oath was not binding. The idea was that if God's name was used, it brought God into the transaction and made it an oath that had terrible consequences if broken. In fact, the Mishnah devoted an entire section on oath-taking, which taught when an oath was binding and when it wasn't. Listen to this. One rabbi would teach that if you swore by Jerusalem, it wasn't binding. But if you made your oath toward or facing Jerusalem, it was binding. You can see then how it became a skill to make an oath sound binding, but really has a way out of it if the situation becomes too too difficult. Now listen, what's the connection with what James has been teaching? Remember the last two um, sermons, faith is a virtue, strike through um, discipline. You remember that? What James is writing to, or who James is writing to, are Jewish poor people who are in these churches predominantly, and even in the churches sitting next to them are these wealthy, non-believing landowners. What happens is these agricultural Jews have their land taken from them because they cannot pay their debts, and the very people taking their land were the wealthy landowners, and the landowners then forced them into day laboring, and day laboring meant that you get your wage for your labor at the end of the day. And even though barns were filled, even though money was coming in, the wealthy landowners were saying, I don't have your money today, come back tomorrow and I'll give you your money. So these Jews were suffering in difficult times and under difficult people, And James is saying, develop perseverance under your trial until God brings you out. But guess what? If you take an oath to the Lord and when things get difficult and you've got a way out, there you go. That's your ticket. See, this is what's so lethal about this in the community of God is that I might tell you that I'm going to pray for you. But what if I never do? And that night, the Lord brings it into my mind, and I chalk it up to, oh, man, there's so many people i got to pray for. I'll try to do better next time. See, this is the redeemed community problem, is that we say things that we do not do because we say them thoughtlessly. It had gotten to the point where it was similar to children making a promise with their fingers crossed behind their back. I mean, how many Christians... Do you hear today, maybe even some right in this sanctuary, who say the phrases, I swear to God, or as God is my witness, friends, this is what's being prohibited. Casual promises were rampant in James's day as oath-taking became commonplace. Friends, listen, oaths were serious. Promises are serious because they invoked the name of God. To take an oath was to affirm that what was said, what I just said, was true by calling God as my witness to that truth and to invite his consequences if it proves that I was not being true. But the value of an oath, just listen, this makes sense. The value of an oath was that it was rarely invoked. And only used in the most serious of situations. But what happened in the first century um, Christian church was that oaths had become commonplace and trivial instead of extraordinary displays of conviction. People would say, may I never see the beauty of Jerusalem again if dot, dot, dot. Or by my beard I will. Or by my son's life 
These oaths were being uttered thoughtlessly. People were making promises and not following through with them and then finding ways out of them because they weren't, in fact, binding. Friends, listen. Frequent oath-taking revealed a liar and a cheater. In an honest society, taking an oath was not necessary. It was for extraordinary situations. It's when people cannot be trusted to tell the truth that they are put to the oath. The Essenes, which were basically monastic Jews, held that if an oath was required to make someone tell the truth, that person was already branded as untrustworthy. The Greeks, as godless as it, actually godful, they had gods for everything, taught that the best guarantee of any statement was not an oath, but the character of the person saying it. You see, oaths are to be common are not to be commonplace to convince others of your word. In fact, they are to be rare. Now, James is teaching us the command for truthfulness. He's given us the instructions or the reasons to be truthful. But finally, he's going to give us the consequences of untruthfulness. Look at that verse 12 again, if you would. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Here it is. Or you will be condemned. Friends, it wasn't meant as a compliment. When the English poet Sir Edmund Goss called T.S. Moore this, a sheep in sheep's clothing. Yet it's a title we should all strive for as we live lives of truthfulness. A sheep in sheep's clothing is a person who is what he says. Friends, we have a powerful organ within our bodies. Proverbs 18.21 tells us what it is. Listen to this. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Maybe the most impacting line of any movie I've ever seen. This is an exaggeration. Spider-Man from Uncle Ben was right when he said, With great power comes great responsibility. You don't have a lot more power than the tongue. It can bring life or it can bring death. James taught that we will all be held responsible for our teach here, for our speech. Here it is again. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now get this, or you will be condemned. So why is oath taking so serious? Why is it so serious that when we promise to do something that we ought to do it? Well, friends, the word oath comes from the Greek word Horkos, which comes from their God that punishes false swearing and perjury. So this God, his job is to punish those who promise and don't fulfill. Those who lie. That the word really means in the Greek, it means to put a fence or a limit or a separating your oath from normal conversation. That's what it means. It means a fence or a limit that separates an oath from a normal conversation. But when you're uttering oaths and promises constantly, there is no separation. It's become mundane. It's become casual. But I want you to see something. That the word condemned is not the same word as in verse 6. Would you look in chapter 5, verse 6? It says, you have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you here, or you will be condemned. It's a different word. This word condemned means 
Um, the word is hupokresis. It's not the same word, but here's what it means. It means flattery, evil deception, condemnation, and it means the play actor on a stage. Friends, you want to know what that word means? You're all familiar with it. It comes from the word hypocrite. James is saying in this verse, let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be filled with evil deceit. You will be filled with hypocrisy and those filled with hypocrisy will be judged. It seems clear that Leviticus 5.4 applies, or if a person thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any manner, matter one might carelessly swear about, even though he is unaware of it, in any case, when he learns of it, he will be guilty. Friends, do you really tell the truth? In all moments... Of your life, nothing less will satisfy our God. We should be known by others as people who keep their word, who have such integrity that their simple yes or no will suffice. How many times have I, as a father, told my children that I will play with them and then gotten busy and not fulfilled it? How often do we say that we will do things and we don't do it? If we say we're going to do something, James says, do it. If the circumstance changes after we say we're going to do something, James says you do it anyways. It's to hold ourselves to the utmost of honesty and truthfulness. Friends, listen, this is what it means to be missional. When you live the way the redeemed ought to live, it shines a light in the darkness of the world around us. You know, Booker T. Washington wrote about an ex-slave that he met from Virginia. And he wrote about this slave in his book, Up From Slavery. And I want to read just a portion of it as we close. He says, I found that this man, this slave, had made a contract with his master two or three years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation. So before the slaves were freed, this particular slave that Booker T. Washington references made a contract with his master. And the slave was permitted by his master to purchase himself. And he had to pay so much per year for his body. And while he was paying for himself, which is horrible... But while he was doing that, he was permitted to labor where and for whom he pleased. And Booker T. Washington writes, finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. And when freedom came, he was still in debt to his master $300. And even though the Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation... To repay his master, Booker wrote that this black man walked the greater portion of the distance back to Virginia to where his master lived and placed the very last dollar with interest in his master's hand. And Washington says that this man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay his debt, but that he had given his word to his master and his word mattered everything. Friends, do you tell the truth? Do you speak the way the Redeemer has commanded? 
regardless of the consequences. Because James says, above all, my brothers, do not swear, do not take false oaths, do not take casual oaths, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Do not look for your way out or you will be a hypocrite. Let's pray. Lord, this is a weighty message. And I am so aware that I am straight in the spotlight. It's very uncomfortable having the scalpel perform surgery on yourself. But Lord, we need to hear this. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for me that we would be men and women and children and young adults who speak truthfully in every situation bar none. Nothing less, Lord, will satisfy you. And Lord, if we speak this way, we, we will be known and the light of Christ will shine out in a world that is so fraught with deceit that is dark. Lord, I pray for strength to do this. Give us a courage, Lord, to speak truthfully. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.